0: Biggs. Any chance I can get a raise? Oh yeah, with all the ad revenue we're getting from podcasts? Are you kidding me? Oh wow, I didn't think it'd be that easy. No, talk to Palpatine about that. He's got all the ad revenue. I'm not gonna get a credit from him, am I? Doesn't look good, no. By the way, what happened to your arm there? Oh, uh, I, uh, I fell down the stairs and then my neighbor broke Welcome to Jedi Master's Degree, I'm Biggs. Today we're going to cover the Lando Calrissian Adventures, which was a trilogy of books that came out in 1983 after the return of the Jedi. But before we launch into it, I want to mention we have an email address, it's Jedi Degree at gmail.com. I want to hear from you, what you like, what you don't like, and what you'd like to hear from Season 2. Season 1's in the books, but I'm always looking ahead. Alright, so these books were written by L. Neil Smith. Let's just get this out of the way, because... This dude's a little wacky, and these books are very wacky. L. Neal Smith has written 28 books, 27 of them fiction. He was born in Denver, Colorado, and his father was in the Air Force, He moved around a lot. He's a hardcore libertarian that ran for Colorado State Legislature and lost in 78. In 1999, he said he'd run for president as an independent if his supporters could get 1 million signatures on an online petition. He fell short with 1,500 signatures. Actually, he was short of 1,500 signatures. <laughs> he then ran for president as a libertarian. He got thumped and lost by 63%. Due to a weird technicality, he was the libertarian choice for president in Arizona in 2000. He got less than one-tenth of one percent of the vote there. He tried to get one million signatures online to run for president in 2004, but he didn't even come close and dismantle his campaign. So enough about that guy. Uh, these stories take place... Between 4 to 3 BBY, so before the Battle of Yavin. So the first story here is Lando Calrissian and the Mind Harp of Sharu. Quick thing before we get into these books. These are probably the most pulpy books of any Star Wars books. They just feel like Dime Store novels. They don't totally grasp what Star Wars is. Lando they absolutely get. They get the character of Lando Perfect. Everything else, eh, we'll get into it. So Lando Calrissian has just won the Millennium Falcon in a game of Sabacc. He goes to the Ocean system in Centrility to do a little gambling. He meets Odafa usana Wet, who talks about a legendary treasure somewhere in the Rafa system where aliens named the Sharu live, and life crystals, which guess what, prolong life, are mined by Imperials at a prison colony on Rafa 4, which is the most Star Trek name of a Star Wars planet ever. Wet runs out of credits and he winds up betting his droid to Lando. Calrissian wins and finds out that his prize is stashed away on Rafa 4. He doesn't really want a droid, but he does want the money from selling a droid. So he goes to the planet to get it. The droid, which is named Voofy Ra, we'll just call him Ra for the most part, is plated in chrome and has five tentacle arms. It has not been activated the whole time Wet owned it, according to him. The droid calls him master is something that he does in all three books all the time. It's a running joke. And Lando always tells him, one, I don't want to be called master. And two, and this is at the start of the book, he says, I don't want you. I'm going to flip you for some sweet, sweet cash. Rob begs him not to and insists that it can be useful. Lando doesn't think so, but decides to give him a chance. And so this is a quote I pull from it. Lando says, I haven't had any servants for a very, very long time indeed, my fine-feathered droid, and I don't intend on starting again with you. I'm afraid you're gonna change hands once more first thing in the morning. Nothing personal, but get used to it. Cause droids are totally slaves. So Lando gets taken by the police, beaten, arrested, and it's on trumped up false charges. You know, like real life. Lando tries to get the droid to help him fight the police when it becomes evident that he can't talk his way out of a beating. The droid can inflict violence. It's against its programming. He privately considers selling the droid again. And this is actually another quote that I really like. Those who carried bigger guns tended in Lando's brief but highly observant experience to think with them instead of their brains. Because Lando's weapon is his quick-thinking mind. So Calrissian is brought into the regional governor's office. There he meets Governor Murr as well as his not-so-friendly partner, Rokur Gepta. Gepta is a sorcerer of Tund whatever that is. They twist Lando's arm into finding a, and let's just call it what it is, a MacGuffin called the Mind Harp. He's told that if he finds it, he'll be freed. Lando nods and gives a tiny replica of the Mind Harp, which is referred to as The Key. The Governor and the Sorcerer also immobilizes hyperdrive so he can't run off from them. But before this, Murr goes into a truly awful speech. So he says... Consider, for example, the Toka, known locally as the Broken People, entirely devoid of intellect, passion, or will, subhumanoid in intelligence. Every one of them bears what would be the signs of advanced age among our own kind, white hair, sallow, wrinkled faces, a bent, discouraged gait. Yet these are but superficialities of appearance, are they? They carry each of these dubious attributes from birth. Domestic animals, really nothing more. Useful as household servants, they're too unintelligent to be anything but discreet. And in harvesting the life orchards. But nothing else. Lando stirred uncomfortably in his chair, adjusting the front of his borrowed bathrobe to conceal his discomfort. The fabric was velvoid, a revolting shade of purple sporting bright green and yellow trim. If everyone took to using the fabric, and with such egregious taste, he'd have to reassess his whole wardrobe. He wondered precisely what all the palaver was leading up to. He had heard slavery justified a thousand different ways in a thousand different systems, yet it did seem to him that the toka lacked some spark, some hint of aggressive intelligence that made people people. So there is something wrong with the toka, and we'll get to that later in the story, but it should be noted that subjugation always involves dehumanization anytime there's slavery it's always rationalized in any way they can and that's usually by making them less than human calrissian and the droid meet an old man named mose who's the leader of the humanoid slave population mose says he's the high singer of the toka he's convinced that lando is the key master no word on who the gatekeeper is wait no he's the key bearer my bad he also thinks that Voofy is the emissary this is according to the legend of his people. He says that they should travel to Rafa 5 to find the Mine Harp because it's one more than Rafa 4. And that means it's one more Star trek than Star Wars. So this is another quote I just found here. Lando lit up a dried cigarette with a tiny electric coil built into one of his sleeves and his jacket. Lando smokes a lot in this book, but... That just really captured my imagination because apparently in the 70s and 80s, they pictured the future containing car cigarette lighters in sleeves of jackets. Amazing. That is future tech I never could have predicted. But I guess this is in the past, so it makes sense. The story is in the past and, you know, it was written in the past. Anywho, they head there, but unfortunately, Admiral Akbar wasn't around to let him know, What's a trap? There's a big group of Toka armed with spears and such who beat the droid within an inch of its circuits and leave Lando for dead. He collects himself and finds a droid which has a program to repair itself. Some police on the planet try to give him a beating, you know, like real life, and take the mine harp. But since he hasn't gotten it yet, they can't. Mo's reluctantly leads them to the pyramid and shows them how to use the key to get inside. Mo's plan, of course, is to let him get the mine harp and then snatch it away. Lando, Vufa, Ray, and Moe's go into the pyramid and take a journey through the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of a man's fear and the summit of his knowledge. This dimension of imagination, it is an area we call the Twilight Zone. But no, seriously, this is all written like a trippy-dippy psychedelic novel, pretty much. So, yeah, it seemed appropriate. Moe's stunted intelligence grows as he becomes blind. Lando and his droid grow larger and then shrink at different rates from each other. Eventually, the two find the mine harp. Lando takes the mine harp and exits the pyramid. He suddenly realizes he's back on Rafa Four. Lando is arrested a third time unjustly. You know, like real life. He's taken to the governor again and told that he's been gone for four months as opposed to the couple of days that it felt like for him. He's also told that everything that happened to him was a setup so that Gepta could fulfill the prophecy of the Tokas. Governor Murr said that the Mine Harp can control everyone's mind in the whole system. The Governor then sends Lando to the Prison Crystal Orchards because evil's gonna do what evil's gonna do. Ra rescues Lando, however, and tells the droid that he realized the language of the Toka is Old High tramick which he knows. He also thinks that it's bad business for Governor Murr to use the Mine Harp. The planet is hit by a couple earthquakes. Calrissian and the droid go to the spaceport and find the Governor has impounded the Falcon... They snag it, and they get off a Rafa 5. Gepta has decided to take the Mind Harp from Murr before he explodes the planet like a Death Star. Moses on the falcon when Lando and Ra board. He is now smarter and has learned that the Toka were the ancient civilization of the Shuru which had created the Mine Harp. The Shuru was threatened by something and hid their cities within the minds of their citizens under the pyramids of the Rafa system. The Mine Harp can reverse everything so that the Shuru's cities will reappear and destroy all the Imperial cities. Gepta forces his way into Murr's office. He's unable to prevent Murr from destroying himself with the mine harp, but Gepta manages to escape barely with the ship. The falcon opens fire on him, but he survives, waves his fists in the air, and yells something like, I'll get you Calrissian next time! Lando and Ra leave Rafa Four with a cargo load of the last life crystals in existence, and they live happily ever after until... Lando Calrissian and the flame Wind of Oceon! Was that too dramatic? Lando and Ross sell their crystals and decide to become freighters. Calrissian quickly gets sick with all the bills that are associated with it, and in addition, nearly gets executed by pirates. This makes sense because I know I've made many of my life decisions based on not being killed by pirates, so I totally get it. He's gonna decide to go back to do what he was born to do. Gamble, baby! He decides to go to the Ocean system to play Sabak in a very rich area. It would also be around Flamewind, which is like the Northern Lights, but more science fictiony. At the same time, Roker Gepta is trailing him, hungry for the revenge he vowed from the last book with his fist raised in the air. A bomb goes off in the Millennium Falcon. It was planted there in their last stop in Delanexa. They repair the ship and arrive in Asaurian. Seriously, dude, I think he just had a 20-sided die and just randomly picked letters with it while rolling. Oh, man. The droid finds out there's another bomb on the ship and manages to disable it. Calrissian finds out that a ship's on fire while winning at Sabak. He goes to the terminal and doesn't see anything wrong. He is attacked and uses his little blaster called the Sting Beam. Seriously, they call it a Sting Beam in this. They never reuse this again in Star Wars. He reports the incident to the police, but he's charged with the death penalty for having a gun. I would say, you know, like real life, but come on. In this country, our rifles have pistols. Instead of ending his life, Lobdoluf gives Lando a chance to die another day. He says that Bahua Matada received an illegal shipment of lazai every year from Flamewind, even though it's illegal to travel during the time because radiation could kill anyone in ships traveling through the system. Lando is to pretend that he's a supplier and take Basavoba with a narc named Wewa Fibot to Ocean 5792. After he's done, he'd be free to leave with the ship and his credits won. So I had a little clip here where Lando was talking about the rich guy that they're going after. And he says, There wasn't any particular trick to becoming rich as long as one devoted his whole life to it to the exclusion of everything else. Lando wasn't capable of it. To him, money was a means to an end. It became meaningless when it was an end in itself. So Lando's not about money. It's not his top priority. He just likes the things that money can afford, I think. So en route to Ocean 5792, the Falcon is attacked by 24 starfighters. Lando manages to destroy a couple of them and escape the rest. They hide on an asteroid while they make repairs to the shields. The fighters find them, but Lando blows apart part of the asteroid, taking most of the starfighters out. The last five retreat. Calrissian and company get to their destination. Voban Fibot arrest Mudda while Lando makes a deal. The narc then kills Voba so that the rich man will be protected. Like real life. But in a turn to wild fiction, Muda is actually Gepta, and Gepta lets Lando know that he was the one that was raising the rates on him and doing everything that bothered him in the preamble of the book so he could get his revenge. The remaining starfighters cracked the dome that Gepta and Lando were in, and while the sorcerer was disturbed, he managed to escape back to his ship. They destroyed three more starfighters, leaving two. The droid sees that one of the fighters were dead in space and so suggests to bring the pilot on board to rescue him. The pilot, Kylan Shanga, sees Ra and thinks he's the destroyer of worlds. Ra suggests that they use the money they want to help the pilot's homeworld. Lando says... As far as my 20 million is concerned, forget it. I'm gonna enjoy being rich, which is amazing. Such a great last line of the book. And he will apparently enjoy being rich, that is until. Lando Calrissian in the Star Cave of Thomboka. Okay, I just wanna say straight up I read this story. I don't fully understand this story. It was crazy. I tried to put it in terms that I think would make sense, but it could be I'm reading the story wrong. It's nuts. It's crazy. It's called Star Cave of Thonboka. So Lando and the droid Vufi Ra find Lehezu and Oswaft floating in space. The manta ray looking creature learns to communicate with the droid. They find out that it lived in a nebula called Thonboka, or a star cave in their language. The centrality Navy. took over their home. Lahusa the Husa didn't want to go back to the Star Cave, and that panicked the Navy. They set up a blockade at the Star Cave. Cruisers of the Navy would trail energy that was slowly killing the habitat, starving all the Oswath to death. By the way, they feed off of the energy signatures of ships, essentially. Calrissian sees the massive fleet in the blockade and comes up with a plan. He pretends to be a salesman and gets on a ship called the Respectable. He keeps working ship to ship until the Falcon gets near the Star Cave. They are told to turn around. He puts up his deflector shields and hits the hyperdrive engine just after letting loose explosive gases so when they open fire it appears the Falcon blew up. Gepta is back but this time allying with Clint Shanga and the remaining fighter pilots. The starfighters can't do interstellar travel anymore since their dreadnought was destroyed. The starfighters were brought on board Gap the ship, the Wenis, we'll say Wenis, W-E-N-N-I-S. W-E-N-N-I-S. When is... They headed towards Stone Boca and studied if the Oswaft had any weaknesses since they seemed like they were now allied with Lando. So this is a quote I pulled from this, kind of talking about Gepta's point of view. Rokur knew many individuals who were not fearful of death. In fact, they seemed to welcome the idea, embrace the opportunity. They were eager to die for their beliefs, for their government, or the numerous causes that opposed it, even for Gepta himself. Such men were easy to control and extremely useful. Down deep somewhere, they hated and feared life and were anxious to be relieved of the burden of the living in a matter that would not disturb their other contradictory beliefs. It's a pretty good observation on controlling people. The Falcon met up with Lahesu. Some Oswaf tried to negotiate with the Navy because they are pacifists, but they are destroyed along with some Oswaf by Gepta. The afta could create a false image and then jump into hyperspace. So Lando has them fly through the Navy with many mirror images. The Navy fired at them but they would hit the mirror images and destroy their own ships. They would then leave the image and fly to another spot through hyperspace. The navy was thinned out while the Falcon trades fire with Shanga's starfighters. Gepta kills quite a few Oswath to try and get Lando's attention. Then he challenges him to hand-to-hand combat. They were each allowed one weapon and they had to fight in space. Lando and the droid fight him but Rod distracts him with his many tentacles. Shenga realizes this time that Ra's old master was the destroyer of the world, not the droid. He explodes Gepta's ship and Gepta looks at it as Lando shoots him. Calrissian looks inside of Gepta's suit and sees a tiny creature. He crushes it. Hundreds of thousands of droids show up and end the fighting. Vufa Ra is their father and he had left to find other sentient beings. Lando and Ra go their separate way and the Falcon's full of gems from Oswaf so that he'll be rich again. So this is just a kind of... A couple random notes that I pulled out of this books that I just didn't know where to place. So one, they have cigarettes, but they don't call them death sticks. Did I mention that? It's worth mentioning twice. And two, there's this quote where it says, He picked out their leader, got it in the canopy crosshairs, and stamped on both pedals. So there's foot pedals on the falcon? Really? No wonder Leia offered to get out and push it. Okay, so that was these books. I gotta say... They were fun to read at times, but they were so nuts, and they just did not feel like Star Wars in any way, shape, or form. This is like the really crazy science fiction I used to run across when I was young. I'd read stuff like Piers Anthony and things like that. It doesn't fit in the world, and I will say, so the Han Solo novels could get a little bit dry, and they would get dry because you had to keep going back to the same conventions to make Han Solo work. You have to have him save Chewie because Chewie is the only person he really cares about at that point in his life that you know of. You have to have an archetype of like a true believer because otherwise his smirkiness doesn't work. You can't have a smirky guy at the center of it, it falls apart a little bit. So you have to have kind of your Luke character. You have to have a Leia character because you have to have him go after somebody. So you just keep repeating these characters over and over again. So Han Solo feels like it works better in later novels because you have the actual characters in there. But when you're trying to write him and his backstory, it's more difficult because of having to have those archetypes around him. Now, Lando Calrissian, I don't think you need archetypes because he's a smooth operator, but he can be compassionate. He can be kind of a roguish person. You know, he's not dryly commenting on every situation, although he can But he doesn't do that. That's what works in these books. He really does understand how Lando operates. Like, it makes sense when you're reading this. He's absolutely nailing Lando. The problem is, is you've got a sorcerer. Like, there's a little bit of magic in the Star Wars universe. They'll eventually have stuff like the sisters brought in in Clone Wars and stuff like that. But at this time, there's not a lot of magic talk. Like, magic is a force, and there's really no force going on here. And then you just have all this crazy stuff that, you know, he'll say Imperial from time to time but it doesn't feel very much like the Imperials. Say what you want about Splinter the Mind's Eye, but at least when they're dealing with the Imperials, they feel like the Imperials even before Darth Vader gets there. He understands how the Empire operates. Um, something else I noticed is... So they keep doing the same things over and over again with the Han Solo adventures. They do things over and over again in this book, too. It's like Lando comes into a situation, he's gambling, and then he gets strong-armed by somebody to basically find a new lost civilization that winds up liking him, and then he defeats the sorcerer. Like, <laughs> that's all three books. Anyway, so we're done with books for this season. No more books. That's my promise. No more books this season. We'll jump back into them next season. But do comic books count as books? I don't think they do. I love comic books, but they're a little bit different. We're going to jump into comic books next episode. So we're going to be talking about the original Marvel run of Star Wars. So may the Force be with you. No, but, uh, All right. We have so many shows on the not safer network download the entire first season of the show not afraid of the Star Wars fan base but maybe it should be Jedi master's degree two movies enter and only one movie leaves listen to box office battle learn the history of television one show at a time with the podcast in syndication Music, anime, pop culture, movies, TV show, and the random babbling of two dudes who need to find something better to do. Check out A Feast of Geeks, the podcast that's perfectly described with its title, Movies with Wrestlers, and download the entire first season of the radio drama about a serial killer ripped from the pages of a hundred-year-old cookbook, A Thousand Ways to Please a Husband.